0: So Lord, we pray that you would help us understand how that scripture applies to us. God, we ask that you would speak through the power of your Holy Spirit, the words that I'm going to speak, the thoughts that we're going to think in these next few minutes to help us be people of grace and truth. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, a couple of years ago, my youngest daughter, Lucy, went through a phase where every morning she'd come downstairs, lip quivering, almost crying saying, Jackson, that's my son, Jackson's not brushing his teeth. He says he is, but he's lying. And, and we'd say, you know, it's okay, we'll handle it, don't worry. But she'd say, no, 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 he's not brushing his teeth, and I am. Right, it's a pastor's kid, very worried about justice issues, right? Well, this kind of reached a crisis for her the next time they went to the dentist because they all got little report cards. And Lucy said she needs to brush more often, and she's missing spots, and tell her to brush Meanwhile, my son's report card said, looks great, keep up the good work. (laughs) Lucy was quiet the whole way home, pondering the injustice that her brother had received so much grace. As some of you have heard me say before, you know, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me, but when it saves a wretch like you, right, it's not so amazing anymore. (laughs) I think that story illustrates a tension that we all live in between condemning or condoning between judgmentalism or tolerance. Lucy felt we were tolerating bad oral hygiene when we should be judging it and condemning it. And I think that's a tension all of us face, face both within ourselves, as we kind of whether you know, kind of go between either just kind of letting ourselves off the hook for our bad behavior or feeling miserable and rotten about it. But it's also a tension we face in dealing with others. The friend who leaves his wife for another woman. On the one hand, we don't want to be judgmental. But on the other hand, that, it just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like a good thing. Or in parenting, I, we face this all the time. I face it at least all the time in parenting. You know, uh, Kids, especially I think teenage adult children, uh, making decisions that you know long run are going to be harmful for them. You don't want to be judgmental, but you also you, know, you don't want to just kind of ignore it either. So what do you do? The reverse is also true. Sometimes it's our parents that are behaving badly. And we don't, you know, we don't want to judge, but we don't want to tolerate. I mean, all these kinds of situations were caught between ju- judging on the one hand or tolerating on the other. Well, we're doing a sermon series called None of the Above about whenever Jesus was faced with, a, with two really lousy choices, he always chose a third, refreshingly different way. He always chose none of the above. And boy, if there was ever an issue in our culture where, where we are faced with two lousy options, I think it's this one. Judgmentalism on the one hand or tolerance on the other. And we all know the image that we as Christians have in our culture, right? It's mean, nasty, narrow-minded, judgmental bigots. I remember seeing an episode of The Simpsons once, and, and yes, I do watch The Simpsons, but only as cultural research because I know you all watch The Simpsons and... <laughs> I need to understand you and your ways, and so, you're a mystery to me, really. I actually used to teach the Simpsons at Stanford. Anyway, that's another story, because I I think it's great art. Anyway, where was I? Oh, if you know the show, Homer Simpson has a neighbor named Ned Flanders, right? The Christian neighbor named Ned Flanders, and in this one episode, Ned's coming back from somewhere, and Homer says, well, where have you been? And, And Ned says, I've been to Christian camp, learning how to be more judgmental. That is our image, isn't it? (laughs) Narrow-minded, judgmental. And that, in a culture that prizes the number one virtue, is tolerance. But there's problems with that, too, because then we condone behavior that God says long-term is going to be harmful, even if it feels good for a season. But in the story we read today about the woman taken in adultery, Jesus steers clear of the two lousy choices between judgmentalism and tolerance. He just comes up with a third, refreshingly different way, which I'll name in a minute. In the story, the Pharisees bring a woman caught in adultery, and they say to Jesus, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? Okay, there's some problems here with just this one sentence. Lots of problems. Let me unpack the problems. Old Testament law actually made it almost impossible to execute anyone for anything, let alone adultery. First, both the man and the woman had to be punished. So, where's the guy? Then second, it says there have to be two eyewitnesses to the event. To the event, not I saw her coming out of his hotel room at the Jericho Sheraton or something like that. N- not, you know, not, you know, hey, it looks suspicious. No, no, you had to see the deed with your own two eyes. And not just one witness, but two witnesses had to actually see it. So question, how'd the Pharisees witness that? Were they peering in her window? That's creepy, right? <laughs> Creepy Pharisees. <laughs> so either they're peeping Toms, or on the other hand, they set this woman up, probably with one of their buddies, who deliberately commits adultery with her, a sin for him too, just so they can trap Jesus into either condemning or condoning and potentially get this woman killed in the process. I don't know about you. Seems like bad behavior to me. What do you think? And you see, that's the problem with judgmentalism. None of us are perfect. But it is so easy, isn't it? It is so easy to see all the flaws in other people and just kind of ignore the flaws in ourselves. Someone sent me a story about a man who was worried that his wife was going deaf. And so to kind of test it out, one evening he stood about 30 feet behind her and he asked, what's for dinner? And he got no response. So he moved a little closer, about 20 feet behind her, and he asked, what's for dinner? No response. And he's thinking, wow, she really is deaf, right? So he got about five feet behind her and he asked, what's for dinner? And she said, for the third time, beef stew. So easy. It takes a while on that one, doesn't it? Yeah, you have to kind of think, yeah, okay, you, get, you got it, you're good. So easy to see the flaws in other people, so difficult to see them in ourselves. And that's the problem with judgmentalism. Right? It usually comes out of our anger, not our love, and it's usually about making ourselves feel superior by judging someone else. Plus, it doesn't do any good. The person just feels judged, they're not motivated to change. But tolerance isn't much better. As you've heard me say before, it's not exactly a compliment to say to someone, I just want you to know how much I tolerate you. You I mean, I hear it all the time, right? It's not not a compliment, right? Tolerance is just another way of saying, I don't care how harmful your behavior is to you or to other people. I don't wanna go through the awkwardness of confronting you about it. So go ahead, wreck your life. Tolerance is just a synonym for what Rhett says to Scarlet and Gone with the Wind. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. In the Bible, the number one virtue is not tolerance. In the Bible, the number one virtue is love. And love always seeks the best for the other person. So Jesus rejects both judgmentalism and tolerance. Instead, he starts, bends down and starts writing on the ground, which is just a weird detail, right? Like, I mean... You wouldn't put that in there if you are making it up. I think that this shows that it's an eyewitness account because it's such an odd detail. And he bends down and writes on the ground, and wouldn't you like to know what he wrote? Like, I would just love to know what he was writing. And oceans of ink have been spelt, sp- spilled on this question, and nobody has an answer. My personal favorite theory is he was writing the Ten Commandments, which I think is kind of cool because, you know, it says in the Bible that God wrote the first Ten Commandments on tablets of stone with his finger. So here's Jesus, God in the flesh, doing it again. We don't really know what he was writing. I think the main point was just to kind of give the Pharisees a, a moment to just kind of pause, right? And go, whoa, what's going on here? And then he says, whoever has no sin, go ahead, throw the first stone. And then they all leave starting with the oldest because, you know, the older you are, the more time you've had to rack up more sins. All right, so they go. And then he gives the woman the third way option, not judgmentalism, not tolerance. It's a third way called transformation. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. And embedded in that sentence are four key steps to how we become none of the above third-way people who reject both judgmentalism and tolerance and instead become third-way people about transformation, whether that's for ourselves or for the people that we deal with. Now, ultimately, transformation is the work of the Holy Spirit, but there are four things we can do to participate. And the formula goes like this. Grace plus truth plus vision plus time. Equals transformation. Grace plus truth plus vision plus time equals transformation along with the work of the Holy Spirit. And the order here is important, by the way. So let's take them one at a time. Grace. This comes first because it is the foundation. When we experience grace, we feel free from shame and that motivates us to change. The problem, though, is grace is not how our world operates, is it? I mean, we don't get grace at work. We certainly don't get grace at school, right? Tests don't come back with the right answer circled. They come back with the wrong answer circled just to rub it in your face, right? Grace is not, you know, our world doesn't operate on grace. And and we're always feeling, other people are always, we just hear our faults over and over again. Sometimes even in church we feel judged, or at least we're afraid that we're going to come in and be judged. I heard a pastor once say to his congregation, do you ever come in here and think, man, I must be the worst Christian in here? Because if you think about it, somebody's gotta be. And that that's kind of how we think, right? Do you ever do that, right? Man, I must be. Man, if they only knew what I did, if they only knew my past, all the stuff I've done, here's what Jesus says to you. It's the same thing he says to this woman. I know what you've done. And I know what you haven't done. But you are my son. You are my daughter, and I do not condemn you. In fact, I love you. Now, don't bother me with all that stuff. It was taken care of. Come on, let's go do something cool with your life. And the reason we're forgiven is the same reason this woman is, because Jesus has taken our punishment for us. You see, the punishment for adultery back then was death. And Jesus does not suspend that penalty. It's just that he takes it himself so that that woman and we can go free. Heard a story about a man who was sitting on a bench in an airport and this Christian guy came up to him and was handing out tracts and he said, are you saved? And the guy goes, yeah. And the Christian guy said, well, well, that's not good enough. When did it happen? And the guy on the bench said, well, hard to tell. About 2,000 years ago. Just found out about it recently, though. You see, here is a general principle. Your sin was taken care of. So here's a general principle. Never take your sin, or someone else's for that matter, to the law. Take it to the cross. See, if I take my sin to the law, all I do is I'm reminded of all the ways I've screwed up and I feel guilty, and, and, or I just want to sin more, right? There's a, the Edgewater Hotel in Seattle. When they first opened, they had signs on all the windows and the rooms, do not fish out the hotel windows. But they had to take them down. You know why? Because people were literally leaving the hotel, buying fishing poles, and coming back to fish out the hotel window right? Don't take, you know, the law just makes us feel guilty, or it makes us want to sin more, so don't take your sin to the law. Take it to the cross, and ask Jesus to help you experience his forgiveness, because when we really understand that my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul, and we are set free from shame and free from guilt, and that sets us up for a new future. Grace, Second, plus truth. You know, Jesus does not say to this woman, hey, you know, adultery, no big deal. You were probably doing what was right for you. (laughs) He didn't say that. You know, but he also doesn't say, ooh, ick, you know, you're a rotten person, you're going to hell. No, he says, this thing you did is causing you and others to miss the full life that God has for you. Now, you might ask, well, who am I to tell other people what's good for them? Well, nobody. Nobody. But we can point to what God says is good for us. And God made us, after all. He should understand how we work best, right? And in the Bible, his commands are meant not to keep us from having fun, but to help us have abundant life by steering us away from the things that will hurt us, even if they feel good for a while, and toward the things that will give us life. The Bible says that Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth, and we need both. Grace that says, I love you no matter what you do, but truth that also says, this behavior is not God's best for you. He has more. Grace and truth both. But man, we are forever falling off that horse to one side or the other, aren't we? Right? Always falling off to one side or the other. Some of us, us, I'm kind of this, I'm kind of a grace person. I'm like, ooh, you know, that's okay. I don't ever want to. you the truth, you might not like me, right? And then some of us are truth people, right? You know, the problem with you is, and furthermore, right, I have a friend who went to a church where every so often the pastor would call a group of people together, and he would say, someone in this group has been sinning. Good guess. Are you a prophet, right? Who is it? And everyone would sit there in silence until someone decided to take one for the team, right, and fess up to some sin. And then the next Sunday, that person would get publicly chastised from the pulpit in the sermon. Their name and what they did and chastised. I mean, I, I think we should start doing that here. What do you think? I'm like, that was awesome. The best part of this church, though, was its name, Graceland. Not so much, right? So that would be a church of too much truth, right? Too much truth, too much grace, not enough of either. We need both. You see, the problem with tolerance is it says no change is necessary. And the problem with judgment is it says no change is possible. But grace and truth together say change is both necessary and possible through the power of Jesus. Grace plus truth, which brings me to the third step, plus vision. When Jesus says to this woman, leave your life of sin, he is giving her a vision of a better life that he believes is possible for her. It does no good to say to ourselves or someone else, stop doing it, it's bad, it's wrong, it doesn't do any good. But if we can cast a vision for ourselves or for other people of a life that is better without the addiction or if we controlled our temper or if we reigned in the lust or if we left off having the affair or whatever the deal is, well, then it inspires change. I know a man who was really grouchy at home because he was preoccupied with work for a long season and finally his wife had had enough and pulled him aside and said, I'd like to have a conversation with you. Not a good start, right? And she said, you know... How, our marriage, how fun our marriage is when we're both being spontaneous and having fun, and, and when we're talking about our days and we're paying attention to each other. Aren't those good days? And he said, Yeah, those are good days. And, and she said, Yeah, I haven't seen that man so much lately. But I know you have it in you because I've seen you do it before, and, and I need that man, and I want that man, and I miss that man, and I actually think you'd have more fun if you were that man too. She cast a vision hey, you don't have to be this way. I know you have it in you to be someone different. She cast a vision. When we understand, when we see a vision for how life is better, following God's ways, it inspires change. This summer, my family and I were in eastern Washington visiting my parents, and we were in the park, and my kids started to complain that they were hot. And I was thinking... Yeah, I'm sweating. That's what you're supposed to do in the summer, right? That's, that's why we're here in eastern Washington, not back in Bellevue. But my, my kids kept complaining, it's hot, it's hot, it's hot. So finally, my wife just kind of snapped, and she turned around and she said, listen, you are descended from ancestors who came across the plains in covered wagons, from a great-grandmother who pulled her family out of homelessness, and from grandparents who fled communist China. Buck up! Right? <laughs> so maybe a little more truth and grace in that moment, but their eyes, it worked, their eyes just got really big, and then they kind of were stunned for a moment, but then they stood up straight, and they, they stopped complaining. I, I think she cast a vision for them, for what they had inside of them, right? Like, rise up, my pampered Belvutian children, right? You, you are descended from the blood of, well, peasants, but sturdy peasants, right? Grace, plus truth, plus vision, and then finally, time. Because transformation sometimes takes a while. Sometimes people like the life they're in. They don't want to change their behavior. That's okay. It's not our job to change anyone. The Holy Spirit does that. Our job is to show grace and truth and vision and then do a whole lot of praying, a whole lot of praying, a whole lot of praying. And we can't do that for everyone, but we can do it for a few, including ourselves. When I did college ministry, I used to meet with a Stanford football player about once a month or so. And this guy was a huge linebacker, just huge. I mean, he could have eaten me for lunch. He was just giant, right? And he would tell me about how much fun he'd have on his weekends, how drunk he got, how many women he'd slept with, which impressed lots of his friends because in college, right, well, some people think that's cool. And I really didn't want to confront him too much on this because, you know, I didn't want to be the judgmental pastor and, 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 and I wanted him to like me and, and he could have eaten me for lunch, So at first all I did was give a lot of grace, which I think is right. That's the starting place, right? Because it's earning the right to be heard. But then one day he was telling me about how he was estranged from his dad because his dad was a drinker and his dad had left the family for another woman when he was a little kid and it, it had really hurt him. And so when he got done talking to me about this, I said, you know, funny, but you do a lot of drinking yourself, don't you? And he said, yeah, 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 but I'm in college. That's different, right? And I said, and and you're with a different woman like every other month, aren't you? And he said, yeah, yeah. what are you getting at? (laughs) And I said, well, I don't want to offend you, but it seems to me that you're headed down a road that's going to end up with you being just like your dad. And and that's too bad because I actually see you differently. I, I mean, I've seen you stand up to peer pressure, and I know you've got that kind of courage inside of you. And I've seen how you show a lot of respect to me and to your friends, and I believe that you could show that to one good woman of worth, and you would probably change her life if you did it, if you were to be that respectful to a woman. And I said, I mean, who do you want to be when you're 40? Not what do you want to be, but who do you want to be? Don't you want to be a man who leads the crowd rather than follows it? Don't you want to be that man whose wife just thinks he's great because of all the ways that you have helped her become everything she was meant to be in Christ? Don't you want to be a dad who passes on honorable manhood to your sons in a way that your dad didn't do for you? And I think that you can be that man. I think you've got it in you. I've seen that stuff in you. But you've got to start today because that kind of character takes a lifetime of practice. And when I was done, he just stared at me for a really long time. And I'm thinking, please don't hit me. And then he said, you and I meet about once a month, don't we? And I said, "Uh uh-huh. And he said, could we make that once a week? And I said, yeah, I think we can make that happen. And then over the course of the next two years, two years, he gradually began to change, got a different group of friends that pointed him in the right direction, began a long process of transformation to become more the man that I think deep in his heart he really wanted to be. I didn't judge him. I didn't say, you terrible person. But I also told some truth. And then I cast a vision for something, a life that I thought was possible for him. And then I gave it time, and I gave it prayer. And I didn't get eaten for lunch. So where do you need to hear God's truth that, like me, you are a sinner? But then where do you also need to hear his grace that says your sins don't define you, they're behind you, and something more is possible? And then who around you might need grace plus truth plus vision plus time? Will you give that to them? Because wouldn't it be great if we were known as the church of the third way? Wouldn't it be great if this was a place where people can come, no matter how many mistakes they've made, no matter how how dirty their uniform is from the game of life, no matter what they've done or haven't done, a place where they come and we show each other grace, but we also tell each other truth, and we pick each other up, and we dust each other off, and we help each other get healed up and whole in Jesus' name. Jesus, who says, Behold, I make all things new. Jesus, who says, If anyone is in me, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone the new has come, and that includes me, and that includes you. You see, it grace that taught my heart to fear by telling me the truth. But grace, my fears relieved, amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Because it saves and changes wretches like me, and wretches like you, and all those wretches like, out there who are just dying to be made new in Jesus' name. And in a world where the only two options seem to be condemn or condone, wouldn't it be cool if we were known as the people of the third way? So, Jesus, we ask that you would help us be those people. Help us experience your grace in a way that changes us. Hear your truth in a way that challenges us. See the vision you have for our life in a way that inspires us. And then, Lord, walk with us patiently as your Holy Spirit transforms us. And may we be people of the third way to all of those around us. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.